Welcome to Sports Spectrum, the sports and faith podcast that brings Jesus back into the conversation. Here's your host, Jason Romano. This episode of the Sports Spectrum podcast with Will Startup, former minor league baseball player, is brought to you by Compassion International, compassion.com slash sports spectrum. That is the website to go to where you can make a difference in a child's life. We're excited about our partnership with Compassion International, the Christ-centered church-based ministry. They do it right. It simply works. Over 1.8 million children so far have been released from poverty because of the great work being done by Compassion International. And here's where you come in. $38 a month. Your sponsorship provides access to school, medical care, food, vocational training, and the opportunity to know Jesus. You can make a difference by sponsoring a child through Compassion International. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. Sponsor a child today. I promise you, you won't regret it. Today's guest on the podcast is Will Startup. Now, Will was selected by the Atlanta Braves in the fifth round of the 2005 MLB Amateur Draft. He played his college ball at the University of Georgia, pitching in the College World Series in 2004 and then made the trek through the minor leagues. And his journey from 2005 to 2014 took him through the Braves, the Padres, the Orioles, and the Tigers minor league systems. The highest level he reached was AAA. Uh, But Will's story is so much bigger than baseball. And so on this episode of the podcast, we talk about his journey through baseball, but even more, his life taking a turn in many ways with the birth of his son. And it's just a powerful story of Copeland, who is Will's son, uh, and his wife Lauren's son, uh, and just kind of going through um, finding out some some tough news and what that's like, uh, not only as a baseball player, but certainly as a dad. And uh, Will shares his story of his son Copeland. This is part one of a two-part conversation with Will. And uh, again, we'll take you through his journey Will's really good. I really liked talking to him on the podcast, and he's about as open as you can be about the struggles and about uh, just walking through tough times with his son Copeland and uh, how God sort of saw him through it. So listen to part one here of our conversation with former minor league baseball player and Georgia Bulldog, Will Startup. Take a listen here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Will, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how you doing? Well, it's great to talk to you. Why don't we just start from the beginning with baseball? Because baseball is such a big part of your life. And tell us how you got started with baseball and what that looked like for you as a kid. Okay, well, I have an older brother and a younger brother. And my older brother is three years older than me. And uh, he, he started baseball a little bit later uh, than some of kids' t-ball age. And he, so he started around seven years old which uh, naturally put me at an age uh, where I could be the bat boy for the team. But I immediately, when I saw him playing the game, I loved it and um, couldn't wait to be on my own team. And all throughout uh, just my life in baseball, I had a brother that he, he went on to play college baseball, so he was, he was good. He had talent. But... Um, Man, he just, I was like his little project. We would go out in the backyard. He would squat down and catch for me. I I just vividly remember he would have a glove in one hand that held a ball inside the glove. 
and a bat in the other hand. And he would toss it in the air and he'd hit me ground balls <laughs> just all the time. And I'd throw it back to him and that's what we would do. And we had a lot of fun doing that. So um, we grew up in Florida and I think the competition level there, we were in a very small park. But um, of all things, I grew up going to church and playing t-ball with Daniel Murphy. <laughs> so, of course. I mean, just this small ballpark that had four teams and I was exposed to some uh, really good talent. And then uh, my family, we moved to uh, Georgia when I was 10 years old. And the, the town that I lit, grew up in was Cartersville. And, uh, man, we hung together as a family. Uh, the baseball team felt like a family. Uh, I, my sophomore year, uh, I was able to play varsity. And I was you know, a left-handed pitcher, a little bit of outfield, a little bit of first base. But, uh, man, we wound up getting put out in a heartbreaking fashion in the second round of playoffs, and I just remember that taste in my mouth. And from then on, I started to uh, train really hard in the offseason, and that led to some more high school success, got opened the door uh, to allow me to play at the University of Georgia. Um, I got some experience as a left-handed pitcher my freshman year in the SEC, and didn't blow anybody's doors off, but did okay. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, my sophomore year, we wound up going to the College World Series. And I think I got some exposure that way and uh, continued to open, open some doors. My junior year, I would consider a huge failure um, in, in what my expectations were. Uh, we didn't even make playoffs that year, uh, but God still allowed me uh, to get drafted by the Atlanta Braves, and I started my professional career, and man, just had a, a lot of fun, a lot of early success, um, met shortly thereafter by an arm surgery, and God, I know we'll probably get to talk about this a little bit later, but God taught me some incredible lessons uh, in my professional baseball career. And that's just kind of in a nutshell, uh, my baseball career. You end up getting selected by the Braves. We talked about that in the fifth round of the 05 MLB amateur draft. In my, I'm guessing at this point in your mind, because just from an outsider thinking, it's not a matter of if, but when, as far as reaching into the big leagues at that point being drafted by the Braves in, in your mind. Is that fair to say? Um, I don't think I was... Uh, as naive to think that being drafted, I would get to the big leagues. I, sure. I knew that there were some odds in my favor. I was a left-handed pitcher. Um, I uh, I threw a, right around 90 miles per hour. So, you know, I wouldn't be considered a soft-throwing lefty, but mm -hmm. I also wasn't a flamethrower. Uh, but I think much was yet to be seen how I would perform and handle professional competition before – any kind of ideas started coming into my mind that, oh, yeah, I am destined for the big leagues. Hmm. I guess over the next few years, you reach AAA fairly quickly in, yes. your, in your career, and then you still don't, it still doesn't happen. So take, take me through the sort of Cliff Notes version of your pro, pro ball career leading up to, say, 2011, 2012, when a bigger thing happens personally that we're going to talk about in a second with your wife and your, and your son, I should say. But take me through the sort of the Cliff Notes version of your pro career 
coming up to around 2010 or so, you know, the first five or six years of being a pro. Okay. Well, this is about to be a pretty quick roller coaster. So (laughs) this is what happens. I get, I get sent to of all places. Um, my first stop in professional baseball, the Rome Braves in 2005, that is 30 minutes from my house that I grew up in. Um, it's where my brother played college ball at Shorter College, which is now Shorter University, but that was in Rome. My mm-hmm. my fiance at the time, who is my wife now, her family was from Rome. I mean, just all these things were happening. Uh, and, and I wound up playing uh, very well, very well. So they sent me to Instructional League in the fall. So I'll go and do that. Pitched well there. The next season... They started me in high A, and in six games, they promoted me to double A. And this is where I was like, oh, man. And and I I had one outing. I pitched uh, the ninth inning. We wound up going to extras. I got the win in high A, and then like a day or two later, they promote me to double A. I wound up pitching about 25 innings, about a month and a half in double A, and they called me up to triple A. And this is – my first full season and I'm going, Oh my goodness. Like what, you know, kind of what is going on, but also, you know, okay, keep your cool. Now what happened in AAA was the hitters were so, uh, I would say mature or experienced that I could get ahead of them in the count. But then when I would try to put them away, they would not bite on anything. So my ERA probably within the first month and a half I would say ballooned uh, to like a five and a half. Hmm. And I remember having a very important phone call. I called my pitching coach from the University of Georgia and I said, hey, no offense, but could you, you know, all those pitches that you were calling, could you tell me, like, do you understand why we had success? Because basically I was just throwing the pitch that my catcher was calling I mean, it was, they had a great system, but I really wasn't thinking for myself. So I was paired up with a young catcher in AAA and we just couldn't figure out how to put people away. Hmm. So he said, you know what? I'm going to refer you to, he's like, yes, I do understand why we had success, but I'm going to pass you off to somebody. So he passed me off to, um, actually a catching coach in the big leagues. And, um, I, literally got a pen and paper and had a phone call and just wrote down, you know, everything I could. I was starting to understand. I was starting to study the game and, um, I was able to have success for the rest of the season. They sent me to the fall league. Didn't go so hot there. Um, because again, I'm playing against like top prospects, but then the next year, I started getting triple a. So this is 2007. 2007, I wind up having like my best year and I have close to a two ERA uh, right around the trade deadline. And I was expecting, I, I say expecting, my pitching coach and my teammates around me were all saying I need to prepare to be getting called up to the big leagues. Hmm. And that kind of turned my stomach because here I was, I was young, I was 21 years old, and I didn't really have any pressure other than the fact to just go out and get guys out. And when they said those words to me, um, I was like, oh my goodness, this is serious. <laughs> so 
it, it wound up not affecting me in a negative way. I wound up continuing to pitch well. But the phone call came July 31st, and instead of getting called up, they traded me to the San Diego Padres, and mm. it crushed me. I mean, absolutely devastated me. And the very next day, I remember I pitched in a day game in Toledo for the Richmond Braves, got the phone call, flew home, flew out to uh, Portland, Oregon, and pitched the very next night at like 10 p.m., which to my body was 1 a.m. <clears throat> yeah, that's right. And so anyway, I know that's a little bit long-winded uh, up until that point, but that was a huge turning point in my career. I went from being like the only lefty in the Braves organization as a reliever to being put on a team where I was the f- one of four left-handers in the bullpen in Portland, Oregon. And mm-hmm. I didn't really feel important. Um, I remember introducing myself to the manager there. And he was like, oh, okay, all right, what position do you play? And I was just like, oh. Yeah, didn't even know who you were. I could have told him I played first base, and he right. might have started me there. So anyway, <laughs> it was just – I just felt – I was – I just felt like exiled. Yeah. And just three hours difference. Anyway, um, I wound up going to the Fall League with the Padres, and I wound up doing really well. And uh, my expectations were – hoping to get, you know, a big league invite. There were some things that happened over the off season that come, I, I, I didn't get a big league invite. I came into camp and, uh, my elbow just was hurting. It was not good. And we wound up spending the whole 2008 season. I didn't pitch, uh, during the season. And it wasn't until September after the season that I got Tommy John surgery. And, What I learned in that process was, in my mind, I thought, Lord, you're going to get me to the big leagues, and I'm going to have this platform, and I'm going to tell everybody about you. And, you know, if I could just examine my heart at that moment and and that time in my life as a 21-year-old, I can honestly say my hopes, I had always wanted to be the poster uh, in the kid's bedroom on the wall. I mean, yeah. you grow up dreaming about things like that. Um, but that was kind of my focus. And I don't want to say my faith was, uh, you know, an afterthought. I was just a really immature believer. Right. So um, through that Tommy John process, God didn't make a bargain with me. I don't. I couldn't bargain with God. God just made it very, very clear. How about you tell people about Jesus wherever I put you? <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, okay, that's that's." It wasn't. I, I don't feel like I settled for that. I felt like God revealed that to me, and I just felt like that's it. God's gonna put me in a mission field. And I've always said this about my baseball career. You know, you can go on mission trips, international mission trips and things like that, where you go to the location. I always felt with all the players from different parts of the world that the mission field came to me. And sorry if I get a little emotional, but it's okay. What happened was a total flip was that, 
I was the young guy at the higher levels. And then <laughs> the next thing I knew, the, the Padres got a new general manager. They cleaned house. I was part of getting cleaned out. I got released. And I knew I still had a desire to play baseball. I felt hungrier than ever to prove myself. But the Orioles wound up signing me as a free agent. And one of the, they kept me in extended spring training. I, you know, at first they were talking about sending me to double A and they said, you know what, let's wait for it to warm up before we send you out kind of with your new elbow. And I was like, okay, okay. And then I remember when it was time for short season a ball to start, they sent me as a 20, I I think I was 26. I'm trying to remember what I was, but they sent me to short season a ball. (laughs) And so I then became the older guy at the lower levels. Yeah. And, uh, man, the things that he, that God taught me and my wife, because that's something I didn't mention is one of the biggest reasons, uh, or biggest factors in my life. I have a strong Christian wife and we got married, um, after my first pro ball season. So I got married at 21, um, you know, so we did my whole career together and, um, man, she believed in me. She encouraged me every single step of the way. And God placed young guys, and this is with the Orioles, young guys in my life. He kind of gave me a, a player that was further ahead in his faith to kind of lead the way to kind of show me an example. And he placed younger guys in my life, non-believers. And he gave, gave me an audience to, to share his gospel. And so of course, did I want to be in double a? Yes. Did I want to be in triple a? Yes. Did I want to be in the big leagues? Yes. But I was so clear on where he wanted, where he needed me to be. So that was 2010 2011, I go back uh, to the Orioles. They re-signed me, and it was weird because uh, they started me in high A, which was great, but then at a certain point, they dropped me down to low A. And I was like, for the first time in my career, I was like, whoa, we're moving in the wrong direction. Right, yeah. You're getting older uh, and you're going backwards. (laughs) Exactly. And a, a big part of my story, as I'm recalling, is yes, my wife and I, we had a son. So in 2000, we had him in 2010 in October. So 2011, I'm a brand new dad. We're brand new parents and uh, played pretty well uh, in 2011, but I had a line drive break my hand um, to kind of cut my season short in the month of August. So I didn't know kind of what my future held. I just knew I needed to heal. And uh, so the Orioles signed me back. And I go into spring training. Now, here's the funny thing, and here's a little look into spring training. All organizations do it differently. (laughs) With the Braves, Dayton Moore uh, would drive around on a golf cart, and he would point to you. And this is like during – you did not want to point and go take a golf cart ride. That meant you were probably done, Um, and that was spring training. Uh, With the Orioles, um, you had – I believe they left things in your locker or someone come tap you. no, with the Orioles, this is where my first big key was. My coaches stopped making eye contact with me. And I was like, man, that is really strange. And I'm not getting a good vibe. <laughs> so 
I made it all the way through camp to like the last day. And then on the last day, they called me into the office. Hey, Will, we like you. You know, we just don't have a spot for you. We wish you all the best. So again, I was at that point. What do we do? And uh, I went home, continued to throw, and I got a phone call um, from the Sugarland Skeeters. And this was uh, a new independent ball team. And um, I was like, you know what? I just need a time extension on my career. That's not an affiliate, uh, but you know, some people uh, get called from there into affiliated baseball back into the minor leagues. So I was like, hey, let's go there. You're just staying active. You're throwing, you're pitching, whatever, exactly. hopefully hoping somebody oh, will yeah. see you. Yeah. And man, I tell you what, and you'll hear a lot of people say this. I was in a great league, but um, these are guys that really want to play baseball. They're not getting paid a lot. And if you don't want to be there, if they didn't want to be there, they would go home. Yeah. We made the most of it. We had a brand new baseball park, which was phenomenal. Living out in Sugarland, which is cl- close to Houston, was phenomenal. Um, so here we are with our family. And again, I am probably having some of the best uh, pitching success I've had. And there's big leaguers sprinkled, former big leaguers, people trying to get back to the big leagues, uh, all sprinkled throughout the teams. And uh, things were going really well. And, and I remember uh, we were coming back from Southern Maryland and uh, we had a rare off day. And so we were like, you know what, let's go to the mall in Houston and we've got buddies there. So we're going to go catch the Astros game later on. And that, this is the day that my world changed forever. I just remember um, getting a phone call while I was in the mall and it, you know, it's kind of tough to speak of the details. So sure. I probably want to be general with this, but the news that I received, um, was basically, uh, from my mother-in-law. She called me and she just said, "Will Copeland has passed out. You need to get home as quickly as you can. You need to get on a plane flight and you need to come home. And it, so it felt like everything, uh, went into a vacuum and somebody hit the slow motion button. And I still remember my two friends walking ahead of me and I was, I just had to hold on to their shoulder. It just felt like everything was slowing down and I didn't know what was going on. And from that point on, that day, I believe that was uh, June 12th in 2012, maybe it was June 7th. But from that point on, God placed the right people for me in my life. I still remember that plane flight flying home to Atlanta was probably... um, the most anxiety I've ever had in my life. Do you even know what's happening at that point? You don't know the severity of it other than your son passed out. Like that's what's happening, right? Like you haven't been told all the details yet, correct? Or did you have an idea of the details? It hit me on, on the way, like my friends flipped into hero mode. We went right to the parking lot. They drove me right to the airport. The crazy thing is, 
the flight uh, that I was trying to get on, I was like, it was five minutes before it took off. Oh, wow. I remember at the counter saying, this is, this is an emergency and my son is in trouble. And they said, hold on, let's see what we can do. Turns out that the flight was delayed somehow. Hmm. And I just remember getting on that airplane and um, it's strange how in a sea of people you can feel alone. And I remember sitting in between two men and just thinking, like wanting to cry, but also thinking they have no idea what's going on with me and uh, hoping that I could fall asleep. I do remember when I was at the airport, my phone died, everything. I was asking for a charger, but I remember calling my mother-in-law back and asking, it was just so weird to ask this, Mm. but I had to ask is, uh, I just had to ask, like, is he alive? Right. And, um, man, yeah. And, and I don't, I don't know if my son will hear this and I, I want to be, you know, just sensitive of that. So that was, yeah. that was tough. So that's, that's about the details <laughs> I feel comfortable talking about there. But when I got back to Atlanta, um, you know, my, here's the other thing. My wife, had gone to um, Liberty University because she was doing her master's and she had been doing most of it online. But this particular week required her uh, to do an intensive for a whole entire week at Liberty University mm-hmm. in uh, Lynchburg, in Virginia. Virginia, right? Yeah, yeah. She was in Virginia when she received this news. I was in Houston. Wow. And she could not get a flight out. And so she drove. So Copeland was with your your mother-in-law? He was with my mother-in-law. Okay. It was just one of those things where uh, everything was normal. And she asked if he wanted, you know, she was holding him. Do you want to get down? And he said, yes, he could talk. He could walk. Sure. Yeah. He's He's 20 months. He's 20 months old. old, Right. Yeah. Right. And he just passed out. So... So your wife drives from Virginia? She just gets in the car yeah, and goes? Yeah. yeah. So, the, the you know, the paramedics showed up and um, for Copeland, and they wound up taking him to hospital. But they said, we've got we've to med flight him to Atlanta. So helicopter ride for him. We all show up. And, man, um, I am just so fortunate that my son's alive. Yeah. And when I tell this story... Uh, I also want to be sensitive of course. to, uh, you know, maybe parents that aren't so fortunate. Powerful stuff there from Will Startup, the former minor league baseball player and Georgia Bulldog pitcher. And that was part one of our conversation with Will. Uh, and part two, which will be released tomorrow, we talked to Will about just the aftermath of walking through that um, that time, that difficult time with his son Copeland, and then also get a little into a little baseball. You know, Will never made it to the major leagues as a pitcher, but he did make his major league debut in 2018. We'll explain what that exactly means. Um, part two of our conversation with Will start up tomorrow. 
on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. We thank you so much for listening, and we thank Compassion International for sponsoring this podcast. We always talk about Compassion, such great work they're doing across the globe releasing children from poverty. $38 a month, you sponsor a child, and you make a difference releasing them from poverty. You can give a child hope by sponsoring them at Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. Sponsor a child today. I promise you, you won't regret it. Thanks for listening. You can always reach us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Of course, you can email us directly. Jason at SportsSpectrum.com is my email. And we also want to encourage you to subscribe to the Sports Spectrum magazine. And you can do that by going to SportsSpectrum.com. It's just $18 for an entire year, which is basically less than $2 a month. $18. And you get our quarterly magazine, four issues. You also get a couple bonus issues in there, too. And it's a great tool. It really is. The magazine, you know, uh, it's it's really well done. And I work with the guys who work on that magazine. Uh, there's a few articles in there that relate directly to the podcast, which is neat. Uh, but it's $18. And you can get the magazine. You can read it yourself. You can get it for someone else, maybe a student, an athlete, uh, a kid from youth group, you know, a, a men's ministry, something along those lines, even just a sports team. This magazine is a great tool to do just that. $18 for the year gets you the Sports Spectrum magazine. Can't recommend more that you subscribe to Sports Spectrum magazine. I think you guys will love it. Just go to sportspectrum.com and right on the bottom right there you'll see it says subscribe. Just click that button and you're in. 18 bucks for an entire year. You can't go wrong there. Go to sportspectrum.com. Thanks for listening and we will see you next time for part two of our conversation with Will Startup here on Sports Spectrum. Have a great rest of your day.